Today's reading will be from Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. And you are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up us with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God pre prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Brian. Morning, Redemption. Man, my job just keeps getting more and more difficult, following the music and then following Phoebe. That was, that's not going to be easy. So... Um, Anyway, please take a sip of your caffeine-laden drink right now so that I might appear better to you. <laughs> Be very helpful. Hey, um, uh, there are many faces that I see in this service right now that uh, came to 7.30 last week. That was unbelievable. We had 175 people at, at 7.30 last week, and that allowed us to be as full as we were in the 9 and the 1045. So I want to thank you all for doing that, those of you that came, uh, especially those of you with uh, young children. Uh, we had 45 young children in children's ministry last week. That meant that you got your kids up earlier than normal and got them here on time and got in here to this service and again, that just opened things up for 9 and 1045, which was so important. We, we had 300 people, 300 adults at uh, 1045, and this, this room only holds 260, so you can imagine what that was like. So thank you very much. We really appreciate you guys uh, doing that. And I know there are some of you who are saying, if you had a 7, yeah, thanks. I know some of you are saying, if you had a 730 service, I'd be here every week at 730. I, I get that, you know, maybe someday, maybe we'll figure all of that out. Part of the problem is that I need to learn how to preach shorter so that we can fit three services on a Sunday morning. That would be a miracle. You need to pray about that. So, so uh, on, on, August, uh, on April 27th, there's a movie coming out. And before you start clapping, because I know some of you are just so excited that this movie is coming out, just wait until you hear what I have to say about it, because you may not want to have that tension in the room of clapping and then what I have. Okay, so here you go. Infinity War is coming out on April. There you go. <laughs> chill, chill, okay. Here you go. We've all, almost all of us, you can't avoid it. You've seen the trailer, and here's how the trailer starts. There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if we could become something more, so that when they, all the rest of the people, need us, we could fight the battles that they never could. Oh, <laughs> yeah. 
there are no original ideas in Hollywood. <laughs> now, now, let me tell you something. Those of you that know me, you know I love pop culture. I love it. I, I'm sorry for those of, those of you that, I, by the way, I have a Southern Baptist background, so those of you that are still really wrestling with that Southern Baptist background in your life, okay, I know that's hard for you to hear. Occasionally I play cards. I danced once when nobody was looking, okay? <laughs> uh, but I love pop culture. Uh, when, I, when I was working on my uh, Master of Arts in Communication Theory at Arizona State University, my primary emphasis of study was rhetorical analysis of pop culture artifacts. So movies, uh, um, uh, music, uh, th those things that we are really moved by, that, that primarily move us through emotion. Um, but I also understand that our culture has a problem with pop culture. Uh, there are actually people who cannot differentiate between uh, fictitious pop, pop culture and reality. And, and I know for some of you, some of you, you're going, that, that, that's just, how is that even possible? You need to understand, it's not only possible, but it's rampant. And for those of you, that right now are kind of feeling like, oh, please don't rain on my parade. I like uh, assuming that some of that stuff is real. You got to pull yourself back from this edge a little bit. You, you just really do. Um, when I really began, first of all, my analysis in the rhetoric of pop culture, I began to see it there quite a bit. But when it really came to life, when it really sprang to life, was with the movie Avatar. And, and I started uh, reading essays and, and hearing uh, interviews of people on television who were saying, literally, not metaphorically, not idealistically, they were literally saying, where is this place, Avatar? I want to go there. That, is the, I, I, th that must be the best place in the world to live. That's where I want to be. How do I get there? How do I, how do I go there? And they weren't kidding and they weren't mentally ill, and, and, and they weren't speaking metaphorically, and they weren't talking about how someday we're going to change this world into a utopia. They literally were trying to figure out where this place was. And, and I, was, I was frankly embarrassed for them, embarrassed. And then I actually had a student at Paradise Valley Community College when I was talking about this once. They said, don't be embarrassed for them. If that, they want that to be their reality, let it be their reality. People... People really believe this stuff. They really do. They embrace it. They pay money for it. They stand in awe in it. And they act like it's a truly original, cutting-edge idea, like nobody's ever thought of this before. Truth is, we're all looking for a hero. We're all looking for a savior. We're all looking for a, for a guardian and we're all looking for a telos, a, a telos meaning an end game, uh, how things are going to turn out well for us. We're all looking for that. It's one of the scripts of our lives that we are hoping to live into. We're all looking for that. And yet, the minute we tell someone about how Jesus fought the ultimate battle that you and I could never fight, well, you know how that goes. You know how that often goes. This is what Jesus did. He fought the battle that none of us could ever possibly fight. He did that. 
the most important battle, all of, the only battle, really, that we should care about in our lives is the battle for our soul, the battle for redemption, the battle for reconciliation with God, the battle for restoration. It's funny how you and I will suspend reality in order to believe Marvel Comics, but we refuse to embrace reality and believe Jesus. And, and, and yeah, I'm even talking to people who would say they're Christians. There are many people who, who believe in Jesus but don't necessarily believe Jesus. You know what I mean? There's a difference there. We, we like most of what Jesus offers, but not, there's some things that we're just not really on, on board with. But ultimately, Jesus won that one and only primary battle for us, the fight that we can't win. And our passage today, um, Brian read verses 1 through 10, but we're looking specifically now at 8 through 10. We've done 1 through 3 and 4 through 7. Our passage today, 8 through 10, describes this awesome victory. And this victory is good news, but we can't talk about good news without also exposing and digging up the bad news. We, we have to do that. We have to be able to do that. So let me read those three verses that we're going to be unpacking today for us. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. By grace, we are saved. Uh, we love to talk about how grace saves us. That grace is the only ingredient of, of salvation. Again, God saved me at North Phoenix Baptist Church more than 30 years ago. And, and it was all about the grace of God saving us. And we got to save people. Salvation. It's, it's very, very important. What we need to also understand is that it's that same grace that we live by as well. Uh, Christianity is far too often viewed kind of like when I used to run marathons. If, if you've ever run a marathon, you know they have these different corrals that you go into based on the time that you expect to, to finish in. And so I would always be somewhere around three hours and 30 minutes, which meant I was in corral three or four, which meant that the gun would go off for the start of the marathon race, and it would be a minute, sometimes a minute and a half, before I actually uh, crossed the starting line because there were so many people in front of me. And, and many people view Christianity as that whole lead-up to that starting line, and then you cross the starting line, and we're saved, and then we just sort of meander off in our own direction. That grace that gets us to the starting line and through the starting line is also the grace that it's going to get us to the finish line of this marathon called life. It's the power that we, that we live by. The same grace that saves us is also the grace that sustains us. Uh, New Testament scholar S.M. Baugh makes this unequivocally clear in he, when he writes about um, this passage. The word grace in this setting and passage, because of the influence of magic and cosmic darkness in Ephesus, means more than just favor, mercy, and forgiveness. It also means power. Power to live, power to discern, power to be wise, and power to love and serve. It is the power of salvation and sanctification, the process of becoming more faithful every day. 
Think of God's grace this way. It's really pretty wild when you do. It is God showing favor to and filling us with his power, those who have sinned against him and have transgressed his holiness. That's who he bestows this grace on. He's not showing us favor because of our sin. He's showing us favor in spite of our sin. And when we do talk about saved, what do we mean? What are we saved from? I've heard that before. You Christians are always talking about being saved. I have no idea what I need to be saved from. What do I need to be saved from? I'm not in any trouble. I don't feel threatened in any way. What am I being saved from? Here it is. It's eternal condemnation because of our sin. Ugh. That sounds ominous. It is. <laughs> it is ominous. It's a big deal. God has no choice but to do something about sin. And here you go. He has two things that we can do about sin. Two. Just two. That's it. I know. It's a binary. Just two. We live in a culture that no longer accepts binary. There are no binaries. Oh, that's a binary. So get over yourself, all right? Remember a few weeks ago when Josh preached? He said what? He said, you're either dead or you're alive. There's no in-between. You're either dead or alive. He says you're either following the path of this world or you're following the path of Jesus. You, 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 there's no in-between. This is the same thing here. There are two options for us to be able to pay for our sins. We can pay for our sin ourselves, eternally separated from God. Now, those of you who are not Christians, hear me. I, again, you're kind of like, okay, but it's not that bad. Yeah, there's... That's because God is still present in this world. You may not know him personally, but there are benefits to God being present in this world that you're receiving even as an unbeliever. We call it common grace. But once you are separated eternally from that presence, from that essence, imagine what that's going to be like. You really can't. Utter darkness, utter evil and wickedness all the time, forever and ever. It's not pretty. And Jesus is very clear about his teaching about the reality of this. So this is one option, and here's the other option. Jesus has secured payment for us on the cross, so we don't have to bear that condemnation. That's the good news. And we should be excited about it. And judging from your phrases, you're not. <laughs> you're just not. I, I, I know, judging from mine, you're like, you're not that excited either. I am excited. And Paul is indisputably clear on this. We had nothing to do with this salvation. It was all God. It was the gift of God, a gift. It was a gift. There is absolutely no legitimate reading of verse 8 that would allow for an interpretation that we helped this grace along in any way. If we helped, then it's not grace. It's merit. And this is a a meritless salvation that we have. And the faith that we have is a result of that gift of grace. But just to be sure, Paul reiterates his point in verse 9. Verse 9 says, Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. No work that we did saved us. Nothing that we did saved us. If anything that you or I did had a, or had a hand in or triggered somehow our salvation, then it's not grace. And, and, and why? Paul says, so that no one will boast. Um, it, it, it's, it's the person who said, well, well, what in the world would God do without me? 
Well, that person doesn't understand grace. This whole thing is about God. It's not about us. It's about God. We receive the benefits. We, we receive the grace. We receive the favor. But it is because of God, his love and his character that we are saved. While we were yet enemies of God, Christ died for us. We were enemies of God. Paul says that those who say they had something to do with their salvation, even if it was simply making the decision for Jesus, he says they're boasting. They're filled with pride. It's not that works are unimportant or unexpected. Paul is about to get to that. But the work of salvation is all done, accomplished, and finished by Jesus. So then what's the point? What's the why, as Josh said three weeks ago? Paul's about to get to that. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are God's workmanship, created by God. That word workmanship is literally the word masterpiece or crown jewel. Uh, think of, think of uh, Genesis 1 and the account of creation. Every day, those first five days, at the end of the day, God looks at what he has created from nothing, and he says, it is good. But at the end of the sixth day, when he's created humanity, he says, and the Hebrew says it this way, it is good, good. It is very good. This was the, the crown jewel of his creation. And what were we created for? We were created for good works, for love, for service. Paul says in Titus chapter 2 that grace actually trains us for good works. That it is through grace that we get trained and equipped and empowered to be able to do these good works. Uh, religion, not Christianity, but religion has the tendency to compartmentalize works into a pathway to God when in fact works are actually a result of and a response to being already restored to God. It's the result of the saving work of God in our lives. Further, it's really, it's hard to understand, truly understand the power of grace in our lives if you don't do the works that God has called you to and prepared you for. If you resist that. See, in, in, in order to see God's empowering grace working in our lives, we have to go and do those works, especially those works that we're pretty sure we're not equipped to and have no idea how to do them. That's when God works the best, and that's when we see his grace the best in our lives. One of the most popular Christian sayings is this. I'd say it's in the top five, maybe the top three. Here you go. God will never give you more than you can handle. It's a very popular saying. It's also not true. <laughs> and it's not Christian. If we can handle everything, why do we need God? If we can handle everything, why do we need him? God is constantly calling his people to do things that make us uncomfortable and that we alone are not equipped or empowered to be able to do. <laughs> Think of this. More than 2,000 years ago, one rabbi and a handful of confused disciples started the very thing that you and I are involved with now, more than 2,000 years ago. How did that happen? We just put on our big boy pants and we've been doing it for 2,000 years. It's the power of God. It's the power of, of grace. 
Most of us really believe that we do good works under our strength and power, and then, and then we want God to bless it. That's how we operate. The reality is, is that we're gifted, equipped, and empowered by God, and the blessing is actually in the kingdom work as we do it. That's where the blessing comes. And by the way, what do we even mean by works? Here you go. Let's define that. I think a lot of us have kind of a, a weird, misguided understanding of what works are. Here you go. Works are not something that are outside of your normal life. It's not like you have this uh, unsacred life and then you go into your sacred life and you do this, these weird Christian things outside of your normal life. That's not it. All of life is all for Jesus. This is a part of your normal life now. Okay? They're not chores. Uh, they're not penance. Anybody ever heard that word, penance? You know what penance means? Here you go. Here's the definition of penance. Voluntary self-punishment as part of reconciling ourselves to God. They're not penance. <laughs> if there's any self-punishment involved in, in your Christian faith, that is a decidedly unchristian part of your faith. They're not even part of our repentance. They are a way of loving and serving in our giftedness, the way we're wired as a result of our salvation. And they're designed to give us joy and purpose. God does not gift us for drudgery. Some Christians, I, I've talked to them, they have this idea that God would certainly never call them to something that would give them joy, only something that they must toil at. They, they really have that, that lens for doing God's work. It's just not true. There are many people, this church is a serving church. I've, I've, I've found that over the last six and a half years. And many of you are involved in ministry. Do you have joy and a sense of accomplishment? Stacking chairs, praying for other people, buying groceries for refugees, serving children's and parent, children and parents in children's ministries, mentoring prisoners, teaching and helping under-resourced entrepreneurs, making coffee. Do you, do you have joy and a sense of accomplishment? Yeah, that makes sense. You should. I actually had one person tell me one time, I, there's something wrong. I really enjoy stacking the chairs and getting the sanctuary ready for, for church. I, I, I said, well, it's okay to feel God's pleasure on you in the midst of that. It may be hard work, but there is a blessing in these. You can, you can actually feel the joy. The, the truth of, of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, is that, that it makes us more human. It makes us more like what we were created for in the first place before sin got in the way. This is what we were created for. The restoration that Christ gives us through his crucifixion and his resurrection and our redemption makes us more human. That is good news. And that is a beautiful thing. We see now that God has created us with a need, a desire, and a purpose for doing good works. Not for the purpose of gaining God's favor, but because he's bestowed his favor on us already. Our works are a joyful response to what he's done. God initiates and we respond always. Don't ever get that back backwards. Don't. I'm going to go initiate this and God's going to respond to it. Mm. You're going to get frustrated and burned out. When we mix up that order... What really happens is we begin to move God off of his throne and try to move ourselves onto that throne. 
And all of this was God's plan before he even started creation, before the foundation was laid, that we would walk in these good works. Uh, Jesus said something like this as well. Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and with all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him we will will be gathered all the nations. And we will separate people one from another as as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on, on, on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it also to me. Jesus says in verse 34, prepared for you from the foundation of the world, and then he goes on to list all of these good works. This is, this, is, this is the paradigm of the Christian faith. God saves us, delivers us, and we respond by doing the works that he's already prepared for us beforehand, before we were even alive, before we even knew him. He changes our script beautifully. Uh, let me ask you something. You're diagnosed with a deadly disease. You get to the point where you're on your deathbed, and you're on your deathbed, everybody's gathered around you, and your life stops. And the medical professionals around that bed are ready to make a pronouncement. And then somehow, miraculously, out of nowhere, you rally. It's an amazing story. And it keeps getting better. Not only do you rally, but your strength gets, comes back, and, and, and you get better and better. In fact, now you're even better than before. You've recovered You didn't even have to do physical therapy, which is a blessing in itself. Amen? Okay? You go to the doctor. They run tests. No more disease. How do you respond to that? How then do you live your life? You're telling me that you're going to set up camp on your couch with the clicker and a bowl of Doritos for the rest of your life? Not hardly. You're just not. We've been made alive by God, and with that realization, there is a change in perspective I love storytelling. I love studying it. I meet with somebody uh, from uh, Redemption Arcadia who's a a screenwriter for movies, and he helps me with storytelling because he said I needed his help and I believed him. (laughs) (laughs) One of the greatest storytellers alive today is a guy named Andrew Stanton. Uh, he, He changed the way the world views animated movies at Disney. He's the backbone of the screenwriters team at Pixar. Um, they're the ones that went from having, you, you know, um, Beauty and the Beast and, and who's the mermaid, Ariel and all that was, to these new, he wrote the screenplay for Toy Story, for Wally, for Finding Nemo, for Ants. And oh, by the way, just to let you know that he can write screenplays for other things and that I also know about 21st century pop culture artifacts, um, for those of you who are closet Stranger Things fans, he wrote the screenplays for episodes five and six of season two of Stranger Things, Andrew Stanton. He did a TED Talk in 2012 about storytelling. 
And I won't show you the whole TED Talk, although it would probably be better than the sermon. Because it, it's, a, it's a really good TED Talk if you can get past the first minute. But there's this one-minute clip here that just slays me every single time I see it. I show this to my communication students all the time because we're doing public speaking, and public speaking is a form of, of storytelling. But listen to what Stanton says. You need to stop. Scars on my back. ankle. Go back. Please go back. When I was four years old, I have a vivid memory of finding two pinpoint scars on my ankle and asking my dad what they were, and he said I had a matching pair like that on my head, but I couldn't see them because of my hair. And he explained that when I was born, I was born premature, that I came out much too early, and I wasn't fully baked. I was very, very sick. And that when the doctor took a look at this yellow kid with black teeth, he looked straight at my mom and said, he's not going to live. And I was in the hospital for months. And many blood transfusions later, I lived. And that made me special. I don't know if I really believe that. I don't know if my parents really believe that. But I didn't want to prove them wrong. <laughs> Whatever I ended up being good at, I would strive to be worthy of the second chance I was given. For those of you that like Finding Nemo, that one minute story of his life was the entire foundation for the screenplay of Finding Nemo. And he was given a second chance. And that's what God has done for us. Last week I talked a little bit about, and, and I've mentioned it already today, we have scripts in our life. The, the research is absolutely irrefutable in this. This is the way, this is the grid through which we see our lives. We have macro skip, scripts. How's my life going to turn out? Where am I going to be educated? What am I going to do vocationally? Who am I going to marry? What kind of community am I going to live in? What kind of family will I have? And then we have micro scripts. Microscripts for every last thing we do every single day. We have a script for when we wake up. We have a script for that first cup of coffee in the morning, whether it's cartel or Circle K or pour over at home. We have a script for uh, our day at work. You had a script coming in here for church service, what was going to happen here today. We have scripts for vacation. We have script for the, uh, a script for our visit to the doctor's office. We have a script. In other words, we have some idea of how every little thing in our life is going to turn out. From the next five minutes to the next 50 years, we have that script. And when those scripts get violated, we get annoyed and frustrated. And sometimes we get pleasantly surprised. Here you go. Whatever your script is, whatever my script is, God has a script for us created before the foundation because we are his masterpiece and we are now found in Christ. We are now more fully human. That's our script. Joseph Campbell says this, we must be willing to get rid of the life we had planned so that we can receive the life that is waiting for us. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for this word and its, and its truth God, that is a tall order to, to, see, the, to see the truth in this, not, not only the, the rough parts, the difficulties, but then also to see the, the completeness, the, the absolute beauty of the joy that we, that we can have, being filled with your Holy Spirit and allowing the grace of the resurrected Christ to lead our, 
our lives. God, we pray that we would be able to do that. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.